Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Entrepreneur Architect Podcast, Episode 39. Welcome back to the Entrepreneur Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. So this past week, I was on Twitter, like I am every every day I'm on Twitter, and I was uh checking out the conversations there. And one of the conversations that was that was going on uh, was among four of my friends, Lee Callisti, Neil Pan, Steve May, and Jeremiah Russell. They were having a conversation about my previous episode, episode 38, um, about my hardware and equipment at Five Cat Studio. I shared all my equipment and all my hardware here and, and talked about how I do what I do. And one of the things I mentioned in that episode is how we're running a virtual studio here. We're no longer in the big studio. Uh, I have a studio that's all by myself here, and I have my staff uh, remote. And it works out pretty well. And they were having a conversation about virtual studio and uh, had some questions about it. And so what I suggested is I invite them on the podcast, and we have a roundtable discussion about the virtual studio they can ask me the questions they have. Um, I can answer what I can because it's a virtually a relatively new concept for me as well. I'm still learning. I'm, I have some some uh, some growing pains happening, and uh, I'm happy to share what I know and and what I'm doing. And so that's what's going to happen tonight. I'm inviting those four guys onto the podcast. I'm hoping that all four of them show up. 
and we're going to have a little conversation about the virtual studio. So hang in there, and we'll be there right after this. This episode is sponsored by the Entrepreneur Architect Hybrid Proposal. It's the owner-architect agreement that I developed for my own residential architecture firm, Five Cat Studio. It's simple, it's straightforward, easy to understand, and it's very, very client-friendly. Over 100 architects have purchased the Hybrid Proposal video course, where I personally walk you through the proposal package step-by-step, page-by-page, and included with the course is a complete set of document templates, which you may download, modify, and start using for your own projects immediately. If you're interested in learning more about the Entrepreneur Architect Hybrid Proposal, head on over to entrearchitect.com slash hybrid. So I have three of my four friends online here. I have Lee Calisti, Jeremiah Russell, and Steve May. Neil Pan is uh, still in the wilds of Canada, and so I guess he could not get a... Uh, a, uh, a good signal. So I'm, I'm going to hope that maybe he shows up later in our call here. But for now, uh, we have uh, Lee and Jeremiah and Steve. What I'd like to do before we get started is, uh, is for each of you to introduce yourselves and s- discuss uh, where you are and what do you do. So let's start with Lee, and then we'll go to Jeremiah and then Steve. Sure, make me start first. Uh, my name is Lee Callisti. Uh, I'm an architect in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. That's in the Pittsburgh region of Pennsylvania. Uh, I've been an architect since 19 something, 1991. I've been out of school. Um, I've had my own practice since 2003. And I also teach part time uh, design studio at Carnegie Mellon University. And Jeremiah. Uh, my name is Jeremiah Russell. I am an architect, fully licensed architect, as of April second of this year. All right. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, currently practicing in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, it's kind of the central central location of the state, so I I pretty much work on projects in all four corners of my state. Arkansas is a fairly small state, so I can do that kind of thing. Um, Originally from upstate New York, got my degree in 2003 from the Savannah College of Art and Design and have practiced in Florida and Virginia and now Arkansas uh, over the last 10 years. Where in New York? Upstate, uh, Schenectady. Yeah, sure. I know it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Steve, what about you? Okay, my name is Steve May, uh, also a licensed architect in the state of Illinois. Uh, let's see. I've uh, started in the practice in uh, 1990, became licensed in 1998. Uh, let's see. Took on a partnership role in the firm at uh, in about 2000, uh, 2001, uh, then went out on my own in 2004 uh, and have been there ever since. Uh, I'm located in actually in Southern Illinois. Uh, a lot of people kind of get confused, think, well, you're from Chicago, right? Because, <laughs> you know, if you're from Illinois, you're from Chicago, obviously. Right. But, uh, but my office, we're located actually about five hours south of Chicago. Uh, so we, we handle, you know, try and handle everything in the, I guess, from the central half down. And what, what kind of work do you do, Steve? 
mainly commercial, a little bit of residential, but uh, got my start basically with the uh, first firm. We did probably 90% schoolwork. Uh, so there it was new schools, additions, renovations, whatever it was. But uh, lately I've been doing a lot of banks, hotels, stuff like that. And you're on your own now? Yes. Okay. And, and um, Jeremiah, what about you? What kind of work do you do? Well, during the day, uh, my, my day job, I work for a larger uh, commercial corporate firm, do a lot of schools. Um, we do some hospitals, uh, you know, office renovations, new office buildings, that sort of thing. Uh, my nighttime job, which, you know, is kind of what I'm doing here, I focus mainly on single-family residential as well as light commercial tenant improvements. Uh, my focus is really more on working with clients who will be the end user of the buildings that I'm designing. So not terribly interested in working with board of directors or um, you know, school superintendents and that sort of thing with, uh, you know, with the people who aren't actually going to be using the space. I want to work with end users. Yep, I did. Uh, I did the school work as well for several years, and I left for the same reason. I just, I, I didn't want to have to, uh, to sit in, in school board meetings every day of my life. <laughs> That's where I was going. So yeah, I didn't want to do that. What about you, Lee? Other than uh, teaching, what what kind of work you what what practice are you doing? Sure. Um, yeah, p people often get. Uh, the teaching mistake, and I still have friends that think that I teach full time, and they, they think I dabble with my practice. But the, the practice is full time, yeah. and the teaching is on the side. But um, right now, I'm probably split fifty-fifty with commercial and and residential. Uh, the commercial work has been a mix of um, retail, restaurant, um, things like that. Uh, tend to get into a lot of adaptive reuse projects where we're taking a building that never wanted to be commercial and we're making it commercial, <laughs> um, which has been a real challenge in uh, uh, existing building codes and things. Um, and then the single-family residential work has been uh, quite fortunate recently, uh, some really nice, um, mostly additions and renovations, new new uh, construction has been quite rare even though um, some of those have come and a few of those are coming but um, and then this past year I even got into um, multi-family uh, projects uh, a few of those mm -hmm. but Great. but for all of us I think that the project size is probably uh, uh, limited to a certain size just because of us being solo practitioners or some of us being solo practitioners um, or at least small firms this project size is obviously going to be smaller than than other practitioners right and and you and you said things are getting busier things have been very very busy this year have been very fortunate um like to think that all the efforts of business and marketing are, are paying off but i think the economy is also doing well and um um, but that's been one of the reasons this topic has been interesting to me is ever since I started my own business in 2003, the idea of working with others, but not in a employee in the responsibilities of an employee situation has been very fascinating to me. 
Um, even my one of my former employ, em, employers and I were talking about virtual offices back in the early 2000s. And um, I think even Jeremiah and I talked about this over the past couple of years as we've been getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, we joke about it, but I think we're both pretty dead serious about it because we're just curious to see where it's going to go. And I was reading your blog the other day, Mark, and you had something a casual comment about my staff works remotely right. and the irony of that is is Jeremiah and Neil and I have been talking through, online and through social media for a while about this and had plans to talk this past week about it so the timing was uh, was really nice that's good yeah yeah I think that was my podcast my last episode of my podcast when I, when I was talking about my uh, equipment and hardware Yep. I had mentioned that uh, that my that we're working as a remote, you know, a virtual studio with a remote staff. So it's uh, I like it. I um, I don't know if you know the background. I'll give it a, a brief background of of when and how we did what we did. For we started in 1999 and we were in a studio for 11 years, um, about 2,000 square feet. We had six people working at one time, and. Uh, Things as the economy sort of slowed down, our uh, staff shrunk, and we kept the big studio. And we got to a point this past November where the um, the lease was up, and we were paying uh, about thirty five hundred dollars a month for two thousand square feet. And we decided that with the tools that we have available to us, that we were going to make a change and take a big leap and and close the big studio. Um, and and build a new studio at home for me. Uh, Anne Marie, who's my wife, is always she's my partner as well. She's an architect, and and um, she's always had her own studio at the house. And so now we still have separate studios in, in different parts of the house. And um, and my staff, who actually by the time we left, was only one person who was left. Uh, he moved to a, a new office, got it rented. It, he rented his own office, and we um, made him an independent contractor. So he's doing other things as well, and we have a couple of other people working for us as well who are working remotely, and it's working out pretty well. I like it a lot, actually. So That's are, good to are know. those all independent contractors, or do you have staffed employees that are working remotely? I no longer have staffed. Uh, you know, staff employees. Every everybody is independent, even the ones that were formerly um, uh, full time. Mm-hmm. And he's we're still working. He's pretty much doing the same amount of work for us as he was, but he's now doing other work as well. Uh, right. And he's working remotely. And so we we um, I basically just pay him as an independent contractor. I pay um, uh, two other people independently. They just and and. John, who who is our who's our former employer or employee, um, who's still with us, he's he basically we talk every day, um, and he's local, so he'll either stop by or we'll talk on the phone or do email, um, and then the other guys we I still do a lot of email with them, um, but all of our our um, uh, files are now on Dropbox. And we're transitioning to Evernote. Evernote is is very new, and it's really just me at this point. But once Evernote is set up, all of our um, project files will be on Evernote as well. 
I'm actually using Evernote right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, me too. Actually, I have notes for our our conversation here. I know I do use Evernote for everything now, which is why I my, like my, it. My Evernote is is got yellow cover, yellow pages with blue lines on it. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not alone. There's a lot of architects still still doing that, including my wife. There you go. So Mark, that, I got a yeah. This um, this is Steve. I got a question on. Um, I, I guess maybe the logistics on on a project uh, when you're working with consultants or, or you know contract employees like that when you're doing a commercial or you know a, obviously a a project that has to be you know done by a licensed architect um, how do you handle that as far as them not working directly under you? Well, they are working directly under me. They're just not working in the same room. Every everything I was doing in the big studio, I'm still doing. Other, okay. other than him sitting right behind me, um, right. everything else is the same. I still review the drawings every day. So I'm still going on, okay. on Dropbox and pulling files and looking what's happening. Um, instead of the questions coming over my shoulder, they're coming through an email or a telephone call. Um, I, I believe that eventually we'll have tools, and I think the tools are already out there. We just They're just not mature enough for us to use them, where we'll have real-time video on our screens of people working somewhere else um, as, yeah. if, as if they're in the same room. I yeah, think I think that's, that's a great question, too. This is something that I ran into recently. Um, there's a, a small designer down in Florida where I'm also licensed in addition to Arkansas, and um, they contacted me and needed, needed a licensed architect for a small residential audition, and I, I said that I would, I would help them and offer them my seal, but that I had to, quote, maintain direct control of the drawings. Right. And I got curious about that, so I actually went and looked it up. And I think it's kind of a misnomer in, in architecture that direct control means they have to physically be there for you to sort of stand over their shoulder and, and watch them as they draw each line and that sort of thing. And um, if you read the, um, and I imagine every state's different, but Florida, if you read the language, it simply says that at all major milestones, the architect of record must review and approve the drawings before any submissions are made. So there's, as you can imagine, there's a lot of gray area there. But um, I yeah. think, uh, you know, I think the laws were written maybe with the intent that interns and other production staff would be, you know, employed by an architect. But I think the language is such that it allows for today's technology with remote offices like what we're talking about here today where, you know, they're not in the same office. Heck, they might not even be in the same country. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but but you can still maintain control over the the quality of the work that's being done um, simply through through digital files. Exactly. I think that's an important distinction to make. That's obviously been done by branch offices of larger firms for years. Exactly. So right. I, I knew there was some logistics about it, but I, I assumed it could be done. Yeah. Well, I have um, a person that does contract work for me, and I've had other people do contract work for me. Um, and and it, it has some positive things to it, but um, the person that does the best contract work for me actually has a full-time job so the demands I put on him obviously have to be limited and I have to be more patient and I'm willing to do that in exchange for the quality of the work and the thoughtfulness that he has 
Um, but I would like there to be more people of that caliber available, more available or readily available um, so that, that that work can be done and maybe all of us can take on, on, on more work. And to go back to a good comment Jeremiah was making, I think that's a great point, Jeremiah, you're making is theoretically as the architect, you don't have to draw a single line ever. But what's difficult about reviewing a blank, uh, what's difficult about reviewing a set of drawings that you've never seen and then asked to put your stamp on that versus being involved from the beginning is mm -hmm. you understand the context of every decision that was made and why a certain material was used or why the program is oriented the way it is or why really anything of the, of, the, of the building was done the way it was done, you know that because you were involved from the beginning, regardless of whether you drew anything. But when people come to, to us as, uh, as licensed architects and want us to put a, our seal or a stamp on a set of drawings that we've never seen, what I try to explain to them, the difference is, even though the assemblies may be common or, 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 or familiar to us, we don't know how or why certain decisions were made so it becomes difficult impossible or really illegal to make those kinds of decisions but in the context that mark's talking about what is what is the difference whether he talks to his colleague over the phone or over his shoulder right and we're still making all the big decisions we've always done that you know Anne marie is, is does pretty much all of the schematic design uh, and every every step of the way, pretty much on a, a daily basis, she's working with the people who are doing the work uh, to make sure it's being done the way she expects it to be done. So no, nothing's really changed at all. Yeah, I mean, well, anybody on the, uh, like you said, with Dropbox, you know, they're, they're, it's just as easy as being in the next room right. as opposed to the next state. Yeah, and you know, in, in Anne-Marie's, uh, situation, nothing has changed for her because she always has had her own studio at the house um, and the staff has always been uh, in the in the big studio. So she's always worked remotely since we started the firm. Oh, that's interesting. Instead of Dropbox, I would just, you know, I would I would be the courier. You know, I would bring the drawings home and she would have them the next day and, and then she would call the, the staff and work with them over the phone or through email. What I like about Dropbox, and I guess it's becoming archaic to some of these newer newer apps, is um, it, it, the inst, in, instantaneous updating of the files. Um, I know when other contract help is working right. on my projects because I can see the window in the bottom of my screen where they've saved it and, it and it uploads to Dropbox and then downloads to my machine, so I can look at it instantly. Um, that 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 in and of itself is is, is pretty cool. Yeah, I get instant notification as soon as it's updated. A little bubble pops up on my screen, and I see that. And so I can I could also keep track of who's working and when they're working, right? Because you can see as they're updating, it's it's coming up. And all our drawings, we're no longer using a local server. We're backing up Dropbox, but all our drawings are on Dropbox, and we're working directly on Dropbox as as if we were working on our local server. We're no longer downloading them, working on them, and then back uploading them again. We're working on yeah, that, that was that was kind of one question I had when you mentioned that was how is that working fairly well with uh, you know just 
uploading and, and working from Dropbox. Yeah, I, that's for, something I haven't done yet. For us, there's been no difference at all. I mean, we I have a I have a relatively new iMac, uh, and so it's pretty powerful, and I have a, a direct internet connection. I'm not using wireless, and but I have I see no difference when I because I do have uh, my server still hooked up, and if I'm pulling files off the server or if I'm pulling files off Dropbox, I can't tell the difference. Hmm. Okay. That's just, I haven't tried that before either, but that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I would say the, some of the negatives of what we're doing is, is the, probably the biggest one is that I'm in this room all by myself again. Uh, when we started, I was in a room all by myself and now I'm all by myself again, which at times I really like, I'm sort of that kind of person that likes to be alone. Um, but you know, I, I enjoyed the, camaraderie and I and even more than the camaraderie I'd like being able to turn my chair around and bounce something off of John and or him to have a question can just instantly a ask me the question rather than waiting or typing an email or or doing something else so that instant connection and that and that personal bond that you have with somebody who's in the, in the same room and and the sort of the the um the spontaneity of design where you know, if you're walking past and you see something that somebody's working on, you have this conversation and something happens in that design and it becomes even better. Those little, those little surprises that once happened in the big studio no longer happen because now things aren't happening at the same time. As technology, again, as technology uh, catches up with what we're doing, I think a lot of that uh, working at the same time on a screen will happen again, but it'll happen in a different way. Well, I look forward to that. Um, that that kind of raises a question that if I if I can ask Mark uh, related to this, um, and I'm and I'm asking this from a um, point of view where I've had um, two maybe three people do contract work for me, and like I said, uh, one person has done it on an ongoing basis for me. One person did it for a period of time with me. Um, so, so there's a project that exists, and somebody gets that project. Somebody's the lead, so to speak. Someone came and hired Steve or Jeremiah or whatever to, to do this project, okay, or me yeah. or you, yeah. okay. And then say all of us, the four of us, five of us with Neil or whoever else we invite to the party uh, are going to collaborate. We use that word collaborate. And uh, this was a, a, a blog post that I never finished. Um, how do we... How do you and how do we divide up the tasks and responsibilities in a way that isn't that that, that still has respect and 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 a, and a level of teamwork? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, for us, we, we our responsibilities and our roles haven't changed. So, Anne Marie is still the lead on the design, and our staff is production, and he collaborates with Anne Marie, but he's still production. Um, and I run the business and I work with clients and I still oversee the projects and make sure that, that I, you know, that I put my input, but I don't do a lot of design. Um, what you're talking about is something very different where you're collaborating with other professionals and sort of doing joint ventures. Um, my, my guess is what would happen is that whoever got the job in the first place would be the lead and the other people would be collaborators. Um, and that whoever is the lead is is the final say. I think a lot of that is going to be a you know uh, the personality of the of the people working on the projects, um, 
you'll have to sort of figure out who does what and how far you can push somebody to do what you want them to do if you're really the lead person. I think that's that'll be some some ground rules that you'll have to establish before you start so everybody understands uh, who's in charge and what the roles are for each person. Yeah, I actually have a little bit of experience with this uh, from the, the firm that I worked for immediately previous to the one that I'm currently with. Um, fairly large project came along that we teamed up with another firm on the RFP. Uh, it's a large health science building for a local community college here in Arkansas. And um, the firm I worked for was the lead architect and project architect and was responsible for signing and sealing all that. And the, uh, the firm that we partnered with was really more responsible for helping with um, schematic planning and programming and then later on down the road in construction documents. And sitting in on the, on the meetings, my previous firm, it was just myself and the, and the principal of the firm, so I was, I was pretty hands-on with just about everything. And it was, it became clear very, very early that we had to very clearly define exactly whose role was what, because as you can imagine, you get five architects in a room around a set of drawings and everybody wants to be the lead architect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, and I mean everybody. <laughs> and. Um, so, you know, there was, there was one or two meetings where it was, you know, things even started to get heated. And I think it was after one of those meetings where, uh, my boss and I got back to the office and he sat down immediately and literally typed out a list of, you know, everybody's name in each firm and exactly what their role and responsibility was and sent that out to everybody and just sort of, you know, laid it out, said, this is the part you're responsible for. This is your this is your box. Get inside, and let's let's all move forward. Um, and Mark, I think what you said is is right. You know, you, it's. I don't think there's a, a one solution for every project. I think each project is going to be a little bit different. And you just sort of have to figure it out. But whoever you do invite on projects, and especially in this sort of you know network of of professionals that we're talking about here, you got to start by building building relationships and building a, a foundation of respect and admiration for each other um, so that when it does con come time to share work, we can all be very clear, very open, honest, and upfront about exactly what it is that we each need um, for whatever particular project that it is. Um, and I think, you know, that just comes out of, like I said, just having a respect for each other and and um, just wanting to do good work rather than wanting to get our name on something. Well, Jeremiah, after after that memo and that list and that matrix came out, how did the tone and the morale and the responsibilities pan out from there? Did did everybody just go back to their corner and accept that, or was there? Um, well, tension? I don't think I don't think they went back to their corner. I think there was I. I think there was there was actually a new level of sort of calm on the project because good. Um, because there was that sort of definition you know before that everybody was sort of trying to kind of take control of certain pieces and parts you know whatever they sort of latched on as part of the project that they really felt strongly about and 
um, once once my boss sort of just said, no, look, this is you know this is how the project's going to be organized. This is how we need to work it in order to get the work done so that we can all be proud of this project at the end. I think that was sort of a a so had a sobering effect on everybody, and they were like you know what, he's right. You know, I, I need to let go of whatever emotional attachment I've got to, you know, this stare detail and, <laughs> you know, concentrate on what's really important over here, you know, my, right. my set of tasks. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, we did all have our name on that project. Um, and, you know, we can all collectively be proud of it because it, it's going to turn out well in construction because we all did our parts. You know, we didn't all have to be in control. We just had to be in control of ourselves and do, you know, play the role that we were assigned on that particular project. And incidentally, um, my old firm and the firm we partnered with, they are now one firm. Oh, so this interesting. Became, this even became an actual partnership where my boss went in as a senior associate to that firm and they have now merged and become one. Hmm. I would say in a, in a, now they're a bigger beast in, in a, yes. In a, yeah. <laughs> in a similar vein, I, I would also suggest that if I was working with another professional that was at the same level as I was, where, where, cause we're really talking about two different things where, you know, for me, it's a, it's a studio and I have different levels of people, um, where you guys are talking about, you're collaborating all everybody at the same level. I would say that if you're if you're collaborating and you're creating these little joint ventures that are not permanent, I would suggest that you you put all that in writing that the that the, the res, that the respect and the and the personalities and the relationships are very important to build those. But I think even on top of those good relationships, there should be some sort of written agreement that that describes the project and who's responsible for what and the roles that that are are uh, that are. Um, uh, needed and who will be in charge of each role and so as the project goes not only will it have some structure and allow you to do the things that that um, that Jeremiah is talking about but if if something does go wrong and there 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 is a conflict um, you have something to go back to to refer and say okay here's how we're going to do this because even the agreement should even have conflict resolution and how are we going to deal with this just as if you were working with a client I would suggest that you still, uh, you know, put some sort of, even if it's just a letter of agreement, put something together so that everybody's on the same page and then put it away and you don't have to wor ever worry about it unless you need it. Yeah. And, and Mark, I think, I think we're probably using, we're probably using the, the term collaboration a little loosely in this, in this right. sense. I think what, um, what Lee and, and Neil and I have talked about in the past is, is really more of a situation like what you have where you have, independent contractors who, who provide production help for your studio. Right, right. Um, and while, you know, joint ventures would be, would be great. And I've, I've talked about that a little bit in, in that, um, as we create this, this network of like-minded architects that have different skill sets and different areas of expertise that may be valuable in my local market on, you know, maybe some larger projects that I probably, wouldn't be able to get on my own, but if I partnered with, say, Lee, or you know, even with you, if, you know, background in school or whatever, yeah. um, then that would be more of a joint venture type thing where, where yes, we have to have those, you know, that that contract and those clearly defined um, 
roles and responsibilities. Um, but I think, you know, in that collaborative effort, we're, we're really talking more about having a network of people available, like Lee said earlier, um, to, to pull from for production help. Right. Right. Uh, you know, when things get, you know, when the workload gets a little bit too heavy and perhaps, you know, we just, we don't want to have to say no to a project that comes in the door, but maybe we don't have, you know, we don't have the time in our own schedule to take care of it. But, you know, if we have right. this network available, we say, oh, well, you know what? I know, I know that Lee and, and, um, and Steve, they've, you know, they've, they've got some, some time available. They can help me out. So I can take this project on right. and they can help me sort of spread the workload out a little bit. Yeah, and that's that's similar to what what I'm doing as well. As as we grow, I'm I'm building this network of people that, when I need them, I can take them on, and when when I don't, they're working somewhere else, doing something else. Right. Well, and if they have a regular, if they if they get a fairly regular amount of work from you, Mark, and you communicate about that frequently, then that helps them make decisions about other projects elsewhere that doesn't mean they're not responsible for themselves you don't you're not you're not responsible to feed them like like an employee right but it's no different for say uh, a general contractor and a plumber right a particular plumber may do exclusive work for a certain general contractor because that general contractor gives them project after project but what i want to add to jeremiah's comment is in, in my case, where, where I would want others to, to, to collaborate with me is not, and, and not be thought of in, in a menial, uh, unimportant role, but in a very, very important role because as a solo practitioner, I have to do everything. And, and, and Jeremiah is doing everything at night. And Steve, I'm not sure exactly what you're doing, but I'm sure you probably do everything too. Um, so if someone was going to collaborate with me on a project, at whatever level they were at, especially if they were at a higher level with us, all of us being licensed, I would probably give very little direction and say, run with it because I trust your experience to be able to figure some things out that I would have to normally explain to someone with less experience. Right. Well, in that same, in that same aspect, you've probably collaborated with that person because they have experience in that. So at the same time, you can trust them in that direction. Right, so I wouldn't. I would. I would be showing the utmost of respect, and from my point of view, from 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 my thoughts, I would be showing the utmost of respect by allowing this person, this other architect, to have a really long leash at developing this project. And and I know this, Steve, and I know you guys have done a lot of of talking before. I kind of, you know, when it was brought into this, you know, this group here. Uh, but kind of what I see out of the collaboration is, is you know, we've touched on, on a lot of different aspects here. But, you know, not only is it, is it, a, is it a good direction for a contract person to help out with, uh, as sole practitioners, with, with help for when, you know, we've got a lot of work and, and there's, you know, we need help to, to get things done. But in the same aspect, I do a lot of mine. I get a lot of my work from, from, you know, RFPs or, you know, uh, uh, and by, by utilizing your guys's expertise and maybe something that I'm not as familiar with that will help in, in getting a project. Uh, 
and I see I see that as a big thing on my side in the collaboration is 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 in help uh, you know say let's sit down and say okay you know I'm going to be sixty percent you're going to be forty percent uh, and we're going to collaborate on this and and maybe not necessarily a joint venture but uh, and I don't know maybe the logistics of how a resume would be laid out but or on the RFP how this how a, a separate person would be listed. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily put them as an employee, but uh, you know that that's something that we'd probably just have to work out. Yeah, and there's there's a ton of different contract structures out there that that deal with those sorts of things. Um, I think the AIA actually has a joint venture sample contract out there, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. They've got a contract for everything. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> You know, one, of, one of the things I did on EntreeArchitect.com when I first uh, relaunched it a couple of years ago, um, a few months after I, I relaunched, I had a thing called uh, Entree Architect Projects. And it was a way for people in your situation where you had too much work and you were looking for help to post a project and then have uh, other architects um, submit proposals to help you do that work. So it was, a, it was a way to kind of find those people that you were looking for. And it didn't work very well. And I, and I don't know if it's because I didn't promote it very well or the concept wasn't clear. Um, but I, I, after about a month and a half or so of trying, maybe two months, um, I sort of slowly pulled it offline and, and made it go away. But I could imagine that as this idea of virtual studios um, matures because I, I I've said this before I believe it's the future of small firm architects I think that that they'll still be the traditional firm but I think that eventually there'll be more virtual studios than there will be the real studios um, and I and I and I think and I think I think we'll have it, um, a need for those networks uh, to to help build relationships and I think my entree architect um, Academy which is going to launch in September I think a lot of those relationships will happen there as well because we'll, we're we're planning to do um, video conferencing and and other, all other kinds of things where where the people who are in that group will start to create some pretty strong solid relationships and similar things that happened with you guys where through Twitter you've built relationships. Um, so anybody that says Twitter is a waste of time is crazy. Because here's a perfect example of why yeah. you should be on Twitter, um, but I think that it'll happen in other networks as well, and and uh, and the opportunities will will be there. Yep. Yeah, and I think I think uh, you know this this sort of um, networking and, and remote studio model that we're talking about here. It's it it's also important to to get out and build those same relationships with other local architects. Um, I mean, one of the things that I've been trying to do is, you know, since I got my license and decided that, you know, it's really time for me to get out on my own is, um, I don't necessarily want to always be competing with my peers. I'd much rather work with them than work against them. Um, so one of the, one of the things that I've been doing a lot in the last couple of months, uh, even as I've kind of paralleled, you know, this whole discussion with Lee and with Neil and, and now with you, Mark and Steve, is getting out and meeting other local architects, sole practitioners that um, that 
do similar work, but also do uh, other kinds of work as well to try to build these same sorts of relationships so that even locally I can hopefully have a resource and be a resource for these other architects to be able to share work, um, you know, in more of a collaborative, cooperative um, uh, effort rather than a competitive one. I think that's a very good point, Jeremiah, because that, that's actually the next step for me is is to find another person local because there are certain responsibilities in what we do that they need to be local. You, you know, construction administration can't be done remotely. Sure. So somebody needs to be on site. And so so I'm looking for somebody who can be another project manager like John and um, can take on a, a role like John where, where he does uh, construction documents and then does a lot of the CA work. Um, and so that needs to be somebody local. And so I'm looking for, for that's probably going to be my next uh, connection. And do you still Here, see that as a, as a contract employee or is that yeah. somebody? Yeah, yeah I, I still, that still would be independent contractor and, and would be working remotely just like John. Jeremiah, have you, have you been out and talked with other local architects yet, or is this just something you're looking at doing? Uh, no, I have, I have. Um, and, that, and, and how is that, and how has that worked? I mean, I, I know in my area, it seems like it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really not that different here. Um, I mean, uh, you know, Arkansas is, Arkansas is a very interesting state. Uh, it's a very small state. Um, and so even, you know, like I said, I've, you know, I've worked on projects in, in all four corners of the state. I can drive three and a half hours and be in Oklahoma in any direction. I can be in Oklahoma. I can be in Missouri you know, Mississippi, Tennessee, Texas, you know, it's, it's a small area. And so, um, the, the, the talent that I have access to is really in, includes the entire state. And, um, uh, Arkansas just as a culture on the surface is very friendly, but just like where I came from in Florida, the architecture community is just cutthroat. Um, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's not friendly. <laughs> no, you know, we, no. All, we all get together for the state convention every year and we smile and we drink and, you know, have a good time. And everybody talks about all the wonderful, great, shiny new projects that they're working on. And there's this camaraderie for, you know, 48 hours. And then as soon as we're back in our hometown, it's back to business as usual, trying to cut the legs out, of, out from under the other guy. And, so, you know, I think no matter where you, I think that's just an architectural culture and it's incredibly unfortunate. I agree. Uh, so I am combating against that. And it's, uh, it's a little slow, but it's, you know, it's a process. Um, I think sole practitioners like us are naturally more open to the idea of cooperation instead of competition, just because, like you said, Lee, we're doing it all. <laughs> so, right, right. I mean, without help, there's only so far we can go before, you know, we jump out the first floor window. <laughs> and um, so without, you know, without kind of reaching out to our peers and to our, to our competition, we're either going to stay very small and sort of get by or we're going to burn out and we're going to become 
I don't know, theater designers or security guards or something. Well, I think the other thing that it can it can do is is, is I think it can allow more clients to have access to architects and more of us will be doing more of that and that has been an ongoing conversation with people like uh, Greg Larvadera and, and, and all kinds of other of our friends out there that just constantly saying why aren't we doing more um, why aren't we doing more of those projects why are those people going to non-architects and, and I'm not trying to pick on non-architects, I'm just saying that we may be able to pick up more work because we can back and forth with each other. Yes, correct, right. And then everybody benefits then if we, yep. believe, if we believe our mantra. Yep, and that is, that is the hope. Lee, I know I've, I've heard you talk several times about, um, you know, kind of how, to, how do you field projects? You know, how do you say yes, how do you say no? Um, right, right. I think... I think you've even said here that you know if you had a sort of a larger network to pull from for production work, you would be able to say yes much more often. That that's true, and and um, I'm still working on that blog post, Mark, about how to take on projects, how to turn down projects. Yeah. Um, I've been very choosy in the past year, but I probably would have taken on a few more of those, Jeremiah, if if. I had somebody not just to do what some people think is menial work or what but but just to run with a project and say here um have at it. Yeah. Put put all your heart and soul in it and your creativity and I'll I'll oversee it and I'll, it'll be my name so I'll take the heat for it. Right. But I'll give you a long leash to, you know, to think and to yep. contribute your skills and your your intellect and your design prowess and as well as your technical Ability to put together CDs. Lee, Lee, don't do that. Just call me and send it to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve. So, so I want to. It's been a slow year. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's why we're having this conversation, Steve. Is, exactly is we can build right. these. If we can build these relationships. Um, I worked with a, a woman in Kentucky, and I never. To be honest with you, I've never met her in person, and, and it, it worked. I mean. Yeah. We, we there's some bugs to work out. Uh, she's a fellow VectorWorks user, um, but, but the distance doesn't matter, Steve. Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's really what we're talking about. So, um, whether whether it's with these guys, Steve, or or anybody else, if uh, if you let people know that you're available to help, you may you may be surprised at how many people reach out to you for that help because regions like me. New York, I'm I'm right outside of New York City. I'm turning work away. And so the, we have more work than we can handle. And and the other architects in the region are similar. So it, there's a lot of work out there. It's just in different regions. I've turned down quite a bit. I don't like to do that. But it, 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 there have been many reasons why, but maybe I would have said yes to it one or two. Yeah. So we're at we're at 46 minutes here, so I think we need to wrap up. But I think this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I think it's just the beginning, so I think we can probably continue the conversation uh, on Twitter or over at LinkedIn at the uh, Entrepreneur Architect uh, LinkedIn group. And and uh, I want to thank you, Jeremiah and um, Lee and Steve, for coming by. 
I did get a little green note from uh, from Neil while we were talking. He apologizes for uh, for missing out, but he wasn't able to connect, and uh, wishes he was with us, but uh, he couldn't he couldn't be with us. So we uh, we missed you, Neil. We wish you were here, uh, but we'll we'll do it another time. So uh, I appreciate your time, guys. Thanks for being with me. Great. Thanks, Thank Mark. you. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Okay. You're welcome. We'll uh, we'll see you over on Twitter. Sure thing. Have a good night. Cheers. So before I head out here, I just want to share some Twitter handles with you guys. Um, Lee Callisti can be found at Lee Callisti. So it's at Lee, L-E-E, Callisti is C-A-L-I-S-T-I. Jeremiah is R1 Studio Arch. So it's R-O-N-E Studio Arch. Steve May can be found at Steve May R-K Tech. So it's Steve May, M-A-Y, letter R, letter K, T-E-C-T, and the one and only, the infamous Neil Pan is at N-Pan, N-P-A-N-N, two N's at the end of Neil Pan. So check us uh, check us all out at Twitter. If you uh, want to connect with me, I am at Entre Architect, and I am Mark R. LePage, and I am an entrepreneur architect. Thanks for listening. mentioned it to my family but in terms of telling people like oh yeah we're doing this i'm looking for projects you got anything i'm not there yet because it scares the out of me dreaming of launching your own architecture firm well buckle up for a wild ride with emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm where do we begin we don't even know what type of business to formalize as is it an llc is it an llp like how are taxes i mean the list is astronomical season one featured founders jeffrey lexi and chris owners of level studio architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio one evening stumbled into one last dive we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging 
and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.